Good evening, good morrow, and good morning. My name is Mikhail Moonstrong, and I'm so excited to be bringing this new series idea to you. Now, it's just a trailer at the moment. We'll see as it goes, as it's created. But what I would like to do is take a crack at bringing out the mysticism which is presented in Christianity. I love, especially in some of my time on the TikToks and in the public space where certain members of certain faiths feel inclined to post rather ignorantly on, on, on videos and on information without understanding that what they're commenting in and on and about is rooted and based in the very faith that they're claiming to be superior. This happens with a lot of people, and I don't find anybody at fault. Maybe their parents. <laughs> but for the most part, what I want to do here is I want to take the Bible. In fact, I'm going to focus on discussing some of the differences here in a little bit, but I'm going to take the Bible and the New Testament and the Old Testament and certain components, and I'm going to talk about them and through them. And we're going to bring out and we're going to highlight how this sacred text teaches and shows laws of mysticism and magic and spiritualism. Much in the same way we find in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Emerald Tablets, in the Kabbalion, in the Tablets of Tiamat, in so many of the sacred texts that we have found and encountered on this channel and in this space, we find that wisdom prevails across all of them. And it's very important to be able to deduce that wisdom for as the wise, the witch, the wizard, the magician, it is our job, it is our duty, it is our obligation to seek out wisdom in all the places it is found. And that is never going to be in one book or in a singular experience, but in a multitude of them. So as we begin and as we go forward, please keep in mind that this is my opinion but I'm also not just a pagan. I started as a Christian. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. I have sat in as many hours as church as I imagine many of you have. So if you have questions or concerns about what you're hearing or what's going on, bring that lovely ass opinion to Facebook, to TikTok, to, to any of the mediums that we're on, and let's have a conversation. That's always our preferred way to have these debates as we go. Thank you. All of this that we do, we do for you. We do with you in mind, trying to create the most relevant information to your journey so that when you reach out, there's a hand with something valuable in it. Now, a big thing about the Bible is there are two parts to it. Most people understand, not understand, know this, that there's the Old Testament, which is the biggest chunk of this damn book, and it exists as a historical record to show what happened in the past to the people of Israel, to provide at some points very theoretical and figurative interpretations of the accounts that happened in the past for the children of Israel, the children of God, as told in the story. And then there is the New Testament, which occurs after the historical account and into the present ready-day account. Now, one way that we can look at this is there was a God that made a promise with the people then and a God that made a promise with the people now, now relative within the last thousand years or so. So it is very subjective, but 
what we're going to highlight here is that the Old Testament is historical. This is about the past of people. The New Testament is the present relevant, the current. This is the most updated version of the book. So I'm not going to be mixing these two things. And that's something that a lot of Christians, in my opinion, fuck up. There are two different parts of the Bible with two different points of context to understand what is being written and why it is being written. When you hear in our culture and our society where there is so much judgment that seems like it comes from the Christian church, the Catholic faith, any of those that claim this title of Christian, a lot of the these rules, like you can't have tattoos, you don't do this, you blah. These come from the Old Testament, from a historical account that was written, created, and put together by people who were very much based in preserving the body of people who were practicing this faith. That meant that practices which, you know, which, which led to the continuation of a family that led to overall and general safety or dedication to the faith, which inherently led to a a tighter knit community. There were all of these things that in some, the rules that were infused with this historical religious symbolism were very much based in the survival of the people. But when we get forward into the next chapter, the New Testament, and then even then the newer Testaments, which we are living today, we find that it's not that the rules change, but there is relevance to what is being written to when it is being written. Right. So in societies where the average life expectancy is very low, any kind of relationship, any kind of engagement that does not deliberately keep the family line going is not going to be endorsed. So when it comes to like homosexual relationships in the beginning of the Bible, oftentimes there are writings against them for the very reason or often reasons. They say one is that God wrote in the beginning that he made man for man, woman for man, or well, (laughs) got that one messed up, but that he made man for woman, woman for man, and that man shall not lie with beast, nor with man, woman, nor with woman. And this emanates from a point that none of these actions, if you are not copulating a male and a woman, are going to deliberately result in life or reproduction of our species. Thus, not preserving the lifeblood of the church, which is its people. That's the context for rules that you see written in the past. Is there some context to survival? Survival of the faith, survival of the tradition, survival of the people, right? Not interbreeding this by creating a perception of not uniqueness but as god's chosen people it creates a selective nature it it allows for the experience or this historical account or this story to not be diluted think about the french language for example the french people themselves value the the integrity of their language so much that it hasn't changed in hundreds of years and as far as they're concerned it never will very much the same thing was encouraged in the in the beginning in the beginning in the early days of the bible you didn't when you wanted to preserve the integrity of your story which had a, a reason a purpose 
you wanted to make sure that you were not mixing that with other people's stories because they had different meanings or different values by which they attributed to that. So when we fast forward from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we're found that a new covenant is made. A new series of rules are made with the, the, the children of God or the children of Israel, the people of God. And it changed from a series of, hey, you need to do all of these things in order to survive. And this is how we've survived in the past by being hella optimistic in the face of serious fucking tragedy and by continuing to hold on to these traditions, these values, and by doing all of this in the name of God. There's a change from doing it this way to opening up those gates, to opening up the, the walls that had been created in the past in order to preserve it, to then expand it, to open it up to other people. So when we move into the New Testament, what we really see here is the incarnation of God again. You find that in the Old Testament, there was the God who made all existence. This was the very first perception or consciousness that emanated from humanity. This was the beginning days. As it could be remembered, as it could be understood, and it plays forward. Different historical and social and cultural accounts all drove the story that we know or that you read in the big Genesis 1-1, the whole in the beginning. But when we fast forward into the New Testament, what we find is it's very similar to the Bhagavad Gita. We find that there is an incarnation of God. There's an incarnation of God, which is given human form. And this human form is bound to a human experience. You see oftentimes that they make this declaration of God is three in one. You know, he is the alpha, the omega, the biggest thing in the world. He's also the human, the Jesus, the, the Yeshua, the Krishna, the living God, the God who is one of us, who walks on the earth. But then as well, there's the Holy Spirit. There's the quiet voice of God, the voice that is in our heads, that speaks from our hearts towards our passions and abilities. This was what we find the story in the New Testament to be about. And it's a story that we find written by his friends. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in fact, not just that, almost every one of the disciples, almost every motherfucker who followed this incarnation as Every incarnation of, of God, of this consciousness has ever been on earth. There are people who write about it because he's different. He's not, he's not like you and me. He's, he's there, there, she, he, I want to, I want to clarify here that this is an incarnation of God. When we're looking at this space, a lot of traditions, because we are bound in a rather male centric society, our cultures all tell a story that is about the masculine and the feminine, male and female. And so the perspective of God that we are oftentimes given in these very well-written or documented faiths such as uh, Hindu, Islam, Christianity is a male-depicted incarnation of God. Krishna in Bhagavad Gita has a male depiction. Uh, Jesus is a, has a male depiction. However, these are written and formed things that have this historical account and are held by a people. People are driven by their culture. Our cultures historically are bound by this male, uh, this male leading perspective. So when we step away from that, we look at like Native American traditions. When we look at pagan traditions, when we look at traditions which are rooted less in this gathering of 
formed scripture, doctrine, and rule, but more into experience and observation of nature, the formless, we see that it this incarnation can take on and oftentimes does with great power and ferocity, a feminine form. So it's important to clarify here that anytime I'm talking about God or the incarnation, I, I'm going to say he and she, because the, the historical reference that we're referring to, which will be the Bible, or the, the yeah, the Bible, is, is male. In Bhagavad Gita, it's male as well. But this isn't because it is the belief that the incarnation is exclusively male. In fact, in many, many traditions, the incarnation is female and given exclusive right, exclusive presence to being female. The Oracle of Delphi is a good example of this. Uh, similarly, there are uh, there was the Witch of Endor in the Bible. Then now that is an, an arguable incarnation of, of God. But what we're looking at is in history, there are varying accounts. What you see, though, is that the story of God is broken across three perspectives, the grand and the great concerning the well-being of all, the personal, the, the individual self who's going through this vast journey to understanding the large, the great, and the grand, and this quiet fire or spirit which emanates from within and the journey of realization that it is coming to experience. So I really want to highlight as we go into this that the Bible has so many different variations of it. It is an amalgamation, a very large one at that, of texts that were written from perspectives of people all across time in our written history that have something to contribute to this story. And people have argued for a long time about what belongs in this story. So what you're reading is not, and what you're hearing, is definitely not the only account. It is simply my account. Using the common gathering and collection of books as found in the New King James Bible. As well, I'll do my best not to... Not to get all pastory and preachy about what we're reading, because I don't want this to be a church sermon. I really want this to be a pagan's interpretation and retelling, modern version for the everyday witch, wizard, and magician to, to use as some yummy food for thought, some gummy worms for the brain, some Cheerios for the cereal. The soul is what I meant to say, but Cheerios are a cereal, and that's where I was bound. I want to give you something to chew on and to think about as a pagan looking at another faith's spiritual text and to be able to pull it apart, to dissect it, to find the wisdom, the truth, and the secrets that are lying inside. Because something that has survived for this long has a lot of power, and many of us who were born in this faith, who who started in this faith with our parents' hand, we, we were called to this place, to this questioning path, to this seeking place of, of looking and looking potentially different faiths, different places. We're brought here for a reason. But where we begin is inevitably where we end. This is a cycle we're bound by. And if we have rejected one faith and jumped into another, we are still bound to find the same truths in this path. So when we see the truths that we rejected in our own faith, in this new one that we've claimed, it can cause a great confliction in ourself. So what I want us to do is I want us to take the Christian Bible, 
this this version, and I want us to find the fucking magic in it. We're going to be looking to highlight the magic that is told. To find the system of mysticism that we can bring into our life to incorporate with the level of practicality to cause change on a positive level for our world. And to be honest, to spite Christians, this, this shit bothers the hell out of me when I have people who believe they are well-read in a book. So well-read, in fact, that they can challenge my perspective in my life, of my story, in my experience. That's, that, that astounds me. That astounds me. And some of the wisest people I've met in my life were Christians. So I refuse to believe that there's not wisdom to be found in this book, that there's not magic here. So I want to find it. I want to find it. I want to highlight it. And I want to share it. I want to share it and give it to you. No. The next continuation and continuance. I am not converting. I am not advocating. I don't believe in anybody's, in anybody practicing anything other than Brendaism, right? This is the practice of worshiping your journey, your experience, yourself, of looking to life, to nature, to what fits with you into the perspective, the unique perspective that you have. What I only think I'm going to advocate for you to do is, is listen, to experience, to see if there's something here that can benefit you. Because if it can, then fuck yes, this is what we want. We want to benefit you. We want to give you, to add value, to give you more tools to work, to create your will, to create your dreams into this world. But this means we have to have an open mind to those who have learned something new. You'll definitely know that you didn't know that until you learned it, right? So we have to have an open mind. We are the wise. We want to be of the wise. And to do this, we can't be restricted by some bullshit cultural perception of what we can and can't learn. And if you came from there and this was a raw place, this is a place you don't want to go again. You don't miss, you don't like using these words and these terminology. That's okay. Remember, this isn't, this isn't for everyone. And you'll come here when you come here. You'll get to this point when you get here, if you do. And that's okay. We're going here for the people who are ready to walk back into that hall, walk back into the household that rejected them with power, with a sword in their hand that is built out of the words that they used and weaponized against you. That is the goal. That is the mission in this place is to make it so that no member of any faith can take their text, can take something written in a book and, and declare that as law over you. We want you to be empowered and enabled to use wisdom, to use your natural, holy given abilities that emanate from you and your experience and your past presence within all, within the world as it has always been. To be absolute, sovereign, and declared in your will in this world, in all worlds, so that you're never made a victim, so that you're able to see clarity and have truth in what you do as you do it. And oftentimes this means getting into the thick of it, getting into the shit of it, so that we're moving into the places that we don't want to be. When I first learned magic, I was so enthralled with doing anything that was not 
Christian. That was anything that was not a part of the faith that I that I that I was born to. I didn't want to use crosses. I didn't want to use you know the name of God as I had learned it in the Bible. I what I wanted was to be not a Christian. I I, I rejected it, and mother, I ran into a huge problem with this because in rejecting that, in rejecting where I came from, and not accepting it. I found that the path that I was on was a path that inevitably, regardless of what label I put on it, it inevitably continued back to the source, back to the all. And so it was so important, so critical that I be able to walk unhindered in that path. The problem was I was finding paths and bricks on my journey that I recognized from the one that I ran from and I was afraid. And because I was afraid, it caused me to trip and to stumble and to make mistakes and to hurt in ways that I didn't have to hurt, but I did because I wasn't able to pay attention. I wasn't able to learn and to listen because of my desire to be away from the thing that I didn't want rather than to look at it and to understand it. So in all things in life, we have to understand it. That's our superpower as witches, wizards, magicians, as people. As humans, as, as those with the ability to see and to begin to understand, we, we have to ask these questions and understand and to bring what is ours into ourselves so that we can begin to share these experiences, not with each other, but with all, to collectively contribute back into what is the thing that is all of us, not one of us, but all of us. So what I want to do is I want to take away the weapon that so many people use against us, and that's the Bible, because it's not a weapon. These are words of wisdom, and they can be deeply healing, deeply powerful in many traditions. And in, in, in to me personally, I can tell you that I, I have fallen on the Bible in many places because it was a comfort that came from my home. Even in places where I was afraid because my magic didn't, you know, that was a, that was an experimental place. I was learning, but I had learned that, that, that hearth of faith. And so to have closed that door, to have rejected it, left me alone, left me feeling like I had no one to call. And that's what I want you, that's what I don't want anyone to do is to feel like you are alone. I don't want you to feel like there's, because you've taken this journey, because you're like, I've got a question and you asked it and suddenly you're like, yeah, I'm now this, I'm a witch. I'm, I'm now this thing. That's incredible. But I don't, I don't want you to think that you can't ever knock back on that door that was a home to you. If you knew God in a way and his name sounded like Jesus, that's amazing. Don't ever feel like you can't just because you've also come to know Isis or the Holy Mother or Bagd or Mak, whatever deity, divinity, energy, whatever version or interpretation or perspective uniquely that God has chosen to manifest in your world, there's no reason to limit that. There's no reason to shape that in a way that could close you off from it. And man, you know what else feels really good? When somebody pops in your face saying and thinking they know shit and you have the ability, capability, understanding, and weapon in your hand to be able to diffuse their ignorance. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's going to be the purpose of this series. 
So this has been a, you know, a trailer and again, another uh, long running ramble. And I thank you for your time. This will be a sponsored series. We want to try to uh, increase a bit of our charitable donations that we've been able to generate from our, our, our sponsor anchor, who we appreciate immensely. And likewise, we appreciate you. We appreciate those who tune in and who listen. We appreciate our friends and our family. Looking at you, Brenda, looking at you, Jade. We appreciate you people who have supported us through all of this. I know names, names move, days change, and you're not always here, and that's okay. But I want you to know that we're always here if you need something. If you've got a question, reach out. My name is Mikhail Moonstrunk, and it has been a blast stealing this time, ranting and rambling about this next saga of episodes to come. Have a wonderful night. Be blessed and be safe.